Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the Kings Insider Podcast. I'm your host, James Ham. Joining me here at the practice facility at Sleep Train Arena, Mr. Seth Curry, Sacramento Kings guard. What's going on, man? Not much. Just uh, back in the gym another day, trying to get ready for the next game. Just, every day is the same, pretty much. Either game or practice, trying to get better. So uh, it's a lot of fun. Okay, we're going to start with the next game because we all know what the next game is. It is the Golden State Warriors. Uh, the last time you played against the Golden State Warriors, uh, things were going well for the Kings, and then your brother decided to get in a shooting match with Omri Caspi. What is it like to play on the same court with your brother and to be there in that moment and watch and, you know, have him come at you and you go at him and all of that entails playing against your brother at the NBA level? I mean, it's a dream come true, to be honest. I mean, growing up with kids, we were always playing against each other uh, in the backyard and, I mean, pretty much all day just competing against each other and everything. And that's a dream to to be both in the NBA, uh, playing against each other. Uh, I mean... It's, it's a special moment, but uh, I mean, like you say, you see you see those runs and like like he had uh, last time we played, and I mean he has those once a week. But uh, to be on the other end is no fun. It, do you still marvel at your brother and what he's accomplished here over the last couple of years? Is it still like you know, as a little brother? I mean, I'm I'm a little brother. I when my brother does something crazy. It's like oh, that's awesome. But I mean, is it still like a marvel to watch? It's very special to watch. It's fun, man. Uh, I mean, like I said, I've seen it multiple times from, I mean, I mean, in a league, in college, whatever, in high school, whatever it may be, but it's still special to see because, I mean, we're in the gym in the summer working out, uh, getting better and trying different things and to see it translate over into game, into NBA games and do it consistently is, is, is what you work for. So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's fun to watch. I'm proud of them, and uh, you know, hopefully we can beat them. You know, how difficult, I guess, is it for you that it is always about, you know, your Steph's brother or your Dell's son? Is it difficult to live in that realm? Uh, I mean, it can be tough at times, but, I mean, it's, it's, like I said, it's stuff I've dealt with my whole life. Uh, I mean, being Dell's son, first of all, and then uh, now being Steph's brother in the NBA. I mean, it's, when your brother's the best player in the league, you can't blame people for bringing that name up, uh, the MVP and things like that, so... Uh, you can't blame people for, for bringing that up when I'm around. I mean, he's probably one of the biggest stars in the world right now. But uh, like I said, I, mean, I try to be my own person. I try to uh, try to maximize my abilities, do what I can. And, and I mean, as long as I go out there and leave it on the floor, uh, work, work on my game every, every time a chance I get, then I'm, I'm, I'm proud of myself and content. So uh, I don't compare myself to anybody, my father, my brother, but I just try to go out there and be myself. You have made your name with this team specifically over the last few games as a defensive stopper. Now, is that shocking to you that, that you're now considered, like, the best perimeter defender on this team? Uh, it's, it's funny. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's shocking, but it's a little funny because that's never been my, uh, my calling card. But I'm, I'm, I'm in college and 
uh, over the past my, my, couple of years. I, I feel like I had good hands defensively uh, and being able to be a pest. But I mean, when when I get out there on the court with the Kings, I know I'm having to get a lot of touches and stuff like that. So I got to find a way to make my mark uh, on the court uh, without bringing the ball up and playing point guard and making plays like that. So I try to go out there and, and, and mix up the game by putting pressure on the ball. Uh, being active defensively and, and trying to change the pace of the game. And I'm just trying to do what it takes to help this team win. And I think we've been getting better over the past couple of weeks. We had Jimmer Fredette here a few years ago. And, and I know I'm not comparing you to Jimmer in any way, shape, or form. But there was something that a scout told me once that he's really maybe not as bad defensively as people think. But the fact is that when everyone thinks you're a bad defender, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Guys who don't normally score like they do, they go at you because they assume that you're a soft defender. Is that something that you've had to fight yourself where you have to like get that out of people's mind that you're not a soft defender, that you do have quick hands, I, you stay in front of people? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think so. Uh, like I said, I just, I, mean, I think sometimes when I'm not, I'm playing the, uh, the two guard or or, or, or playing off the ball, I kind of have guard bigger defenders, so obviously they're gonna try to uh, take that advantage of the upside. So I try to use my hands, my quickness, and things like that. I think I have a good IQ, so uh, I try to use my my IQ and be in the right spots defensively. Think think two steps ahead of the ball and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, I don't think I'm uh, going out there and, and just trying to change the minds of people. I'm going out there and just trying to win win games and keep it simple. You've you haven't had a, a breakout offensive game in a little while. What is it that you need to do to get back on that offensive track where you're bombing away from three? Uh, I'm mean, just trying to find different spots to get shots off. Uh, I'm still trying to learn ways to play with play with my teammates and get better on the offensive end. But uh, I mean, I think as a team, we're playing pretty well offensively, and I'm uh, and I'm just trying to uh, find ways where I can make plays with the ball and just be more aggressive, be, be a playmaker when I get into the paint and not just look for my shot. So. Uh, like I said, I'm just trying to get better, learn. I think it's going to come with time, just learning to play with my teammates and things like that. But, uh, I mean, it'll come. I'm, I know I score the ball. Everybody knows that. But uh, I'm just trying to, to, to focus, like I said, defensively and help different help this team win in different ways than what, uh, what the people that are playing right now. You've had this bench unit that that's sitting over there, you know, kind of in, in some games you're just a mothball. You're just hanging out, waiting for an opportunity. But you and Quincy have both made, like, an, a tremendous impact in games lately. What is it that you're seeing out of Quincy, and how excited are you for one of, like, that unit that's been cheering and doing all the things they have to do on the sidelines? How nice is it to see somebody really have something pay off for them? I mean, you love to see it. I mean, you see guys like him who, I mean, we have guys on this team you know you can play, but just aren't getting an opportunity right now, whether it's number numbers-wise or whatever the case may be. You know they can get out there and make an impact, and you see the energy he brings uh, every single game on the sideline, cheering for his teammates and giving encouragement. So to see him go out there and make plays on the, on the actual floor and see him get that same type of encouragement from his teammates is special. So, I mean, that's it's a long year, 82 games. Everybody's going to get their chance to come in and make a mark. And guys like me, Quincy, we just got to stay ready and – and try to uh, just make an impact for this team and by, uh, by doing it on the practice court first and then when the time comes, uh, producing. Have you ever seen a guy dunk as hard as that guy? Uh, not, not his size, man. It's, it's, it's special to see. He brings a lot of energy, and that's the way he plays. When he, when he grabs the rim and then brings it down, he lets all that emotion out, and it's, it's fun because we don't have a lot of guys on that team that, that bring that kind of emotion. So uh, I think that gives us a boost. All right, so you again. Let's let's finish up. You, you go back to Golden State. Well, actually, the games in Sacramento. 
Saturday night. You get to face your brother one more time. Hopefully you guys get on the court together. Are you hoping to have that moment where you light him up? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I, th I mean, I'm like I said, I'm trying to uh, get the opportunity to make a couple plays, and hopefully he's lined up me against me a couple times. And I, uh, he ch I remember the first time uh, I was matched up against him last game, he came down and tried to pull one from 30 on me. Luckily, I got a hand up and he missed. But I knew he, I, I could see when he saw me on him, he was going to find a way to get the shot up. So I'm, I'm uh, hopefully going to get a chance to attack him again. You have something special for him, some move that you're going to use to get around him? I'm not sure. I play on field, so I'm not going to uh, go in uh, expecting to do something. But uh, hopefully uh, I get to go at him one time and, and make something happen. All right, so last week we had Quincy on. This week we have Seth Curry. You saw what happened to Quincy this last week. Is it? We're bringing karma here. We're bringing karma here with the CSN Kings Insider podcast. Are, are you going to blow up this week? Uh, I hope so. I hope the uh, revert, I don't know, the reverse curse, you can call it, of the, the Kings Insider podcast can, can rub off on me. But, uh, I mean, I, I saw Quincy have a, get a couple starts and have a couple big games for us. So hopefully I can do the same. All right, that is Seth Curry, Sacramento Kings, guard extraordinaire. Thanks for dropping by. All right, thank you. Welcome back to the Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always in this second portion of the podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski, NBC Sports. Aaron, what's going on? You know, you can't see me right now, and you probably didn't see this on the telecast last night, but I'm, I'm doing what that, that dude was having his buddy do to his beard. I'm just stroking my beard right now. You have it, a beard now? I, I do. I have a, uh, you know, a, a lost in uh, the wilderness beard. And it, it's grown down to my, you know, a couple inches under my chin. Wow. You know what? I, I saw that, that scene on the telecast, and it reminded me of uh, the Polar Express, the the train conductor with the giant long beard. That's what it reminded me but of. But I don't get, was were they doing it for TV or just for kicks? Because that was hilarious. Oh, no, they, they were, were having... doing it for TV. They knew that someone had to have called them and said, hey, look, you're on TV, you're on TV. Uh, or... Maybe they were live streaming the game. Actually, we didn't have a live stream last night, so I can't do a commercial for our CSN uh, live stream, which is actually really, really cool. Especially if you're like a treadmill guy and want to get on the treadmill and and you know watch a Kings game while live streaming. I, I tried it. to live stream last night the uh, game after the game because I had to rewatch it. It was that crazy of a game. And wild, so wild. League Pass wouldn't. They they was some weird archiving thing. It took all night to archive, so I stayed up all night. There wasn't a live stream. There wasn't a league pass. And I had to go on no sleep for you guys or very little sleep to rewatch that game because it was really, really crazy. It was crazy. No sleep till podcast. There we go. <laughs> All right. So let's get to the game because I'm going to say this. I've been to, I don't even know how many Kings games at this point. I, I, I think if I'm going to like put a rough estimate, I'm going to say like 500 Kings games. And I, I've been to playoff games, which are always wild and crazy. Uh, but there's a difference when you go to a playoff game in Sacramento, which hasn't happened in a decade. Kings fans don't give up their seats, and they certainly don't give them up to Laker fans. But I kind of felt like there was some sympathy in Sacramento for Laker fans. And they allowed more Laker fans in the building than I've ever seen. It was the craziest bipartisan crowd I've ever seen at 
any sporting event to watch one team score a basket and like half the crowd stand up and cheer. The other team scores, half the crowd stands up and cheers. The place was electric. It was crazy. It was wild. The guy in front of me, I I wanted to just, you know, just like drop my laptop on his head. He had a, a giant Kobe Bryant fathead that he kept like lifting above his head and waving it in front of me. And I couldn't see half of the action. And when they finally told him he couldn't put his fat head up anymore, he pulled out a giant Lakers towel and was like snapping a towel in the air. And I almost got like my eye taken out by this giant yellow towel. It was crazy, Aaron. It was crazy. I mean, even trying to get out of there, it was crazy. Plus it was Bollywood night. Plus Jamie Foxx was there and Michael Johnson, the sprinter was there and Miss America was there. I mean, dude, it was it was chaos. It was chaos. I don't even yeah. know what to say. I mean, I was watching it obviously from afar, so I I had a. Uh, it reminded me of the uh, the fan appreciation night before the theoretic move to Anaheim because there was that kind of electricity in the building, and when I was there in person for the fan appreciation night, there was so many different mini fights in the stands between Lakers fans and Kings fans. And it felt like that from afar. And I, I was thinking to myself, like, you know, that that night Lakers fans kind of gave Kings fans a pass. They were I fighting agree. to an extent. They, and they, especially as the game kind of got bad toward halftime of that game, the Lakers fans really chilled out and, and realized, Hey, this is, we don't want to put our foot on their throats. And then it got real exciting because the Kings came back, and I think there was an overtime game, and yada, yada, yada. And yeah, it yeah. had that same feel from afar where I, I can only imagine when the Lakers started that massive comeback, how much trash was being talked in those stands to Kings fans. And they were probably outnumbered. Yeah, I, I think that that was like, that situation was very strange. But you're right. I felt like in 2011, it was like, I think it was April 13th, 2011. I felt like the Lakers fans did back off and they started to realize that wait this we're we're cheering at a funeral and that was like a a really really defining moment for them because you could see them kind of like sink back and then the Kings go on it like a they erased an 18 point third quarter lead they take the lead with like I don't know a minute 22 I think it is with Jason Thompson a little flip in the lane and then Kobe Loud, Bryant, of course. Loudest arena I've ever been in, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Kobe, well. I know you, I missed all the, the playoffs. playoffs stuff. Yeah, the playoffs I were, wasn't here for were that. nuts. I mean, even Kobe talked about that. Uh, he said his greatest memory in Sleep Train Arena, Arco Arena, really. Let's just call it what it is. Arco Arena. The, the greatest moment for him in Arco Arena history was not one of the actual games itself. It was the pregame of Game 7 in the 2002 Finals when they they killed the lights and everyone had i think it was glow sticks in the stands and the whole entire place lights up with these like purple glow sticks and he said the introductions that night he's like you could just feel it in the air you could just feel the electricity and i've said that like many times like if you've ever gone to a playoff game at arco arena it doesn't have it has a soul it's it's an incredible thing to be part of because you can the building ha it, it feels like it's alive and you can feel it all around you and it's just I don't think I mean I've been to Warriors playoff games and it's loud and it's crazy but there's too much open space 
in the ceiling and uh, just around in the war in Oracle. So you don't really get that vibe, but you know, Arco, you do get that vibe. It's crazy. It's wild. And it, you're so close. And that's what Kobe said too. You're so close to the fans. You're so, they're on you and you feel like they're part of the action, the cowbells and everything. So I, I don't know. It was, it was an interesting night, Aaron. It was an interesting, and the game itself, it may have been interesting. I, I, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really had to actually, I wanted to watch it again because it was very difficult to to pick where everything started going wrong for the Kings in the second half because it was a collection of things and the Kings were also scoring at a very high clip. I know they slowed down a little bit in the second half, but this was a game where all of a sudden the Lakers were on top of them and I think that everybody was shocked the Kings were shocked. George Carl was shocked. And by shocked, I mean surprised. And then all of a sudden, they were in a dogfight. From there, I don't know what direction you want to spin with this thing. I mean, I've got some, some thoughts and some ideas. But, you know, from an overall perspective, the Kings got a real quick lesson in that they're not good enough to take any team lightly, even for a half. But they should have learned that like a million times this year a million times this year it's and i like, don't think it was the the garden variety we that excuse that's been put out there we overlooked them i don't think it's that there's very specific things that happened in that second half that really bit them in the butt and a lot of it was the lakers started playing very very well their young guys came through and just made some really tough shots but this is the nba you know that's a number two draft pick in d'angelo russell over there who, by the way, had the funniest celebration I've ever seen after making his big three-pointer. <laughs> he's going to have to work on that one a little bit. Um, he's, the, he's an interesting cat, just so you know. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Just, it was a terrible celebration. I'll just be honest. I mean, he had that. It, I guess Kobe has his jaw juts. Never really been a great celebration. His is like fifty times worse. His, yeah, look, his post-game comments too were just like. They just speak they volumes got lucky about and... how immature and ridiculous he is. I was such a huge fan of his coming into the draft. Holy cow. I, I don't think anyone is excited about and, him. And in, in the last way. two minutes of the game, there was really interesting stuff with him, too, because so he hurts his ankle. And the, the kind of the whispers around Lakers land is that he's a little soft and so um, and then with injuries that he'll get hurt and it looks like crazy bad. But in, in reality, it's kind of a normal injury, that particular ankle injury. Uh, so he tries to play on it again and he walks off the court. Byron won't even look at him and he doesn't even look at Byron. And he went and he had to hack Rondo, which I think Rondo went one of two from the line when he hacked him at the two minute mark. But that was just like a, I mean, it was a score of, or a comedy of errors for the Lakers there in the last three minutes with that being one of them is like, okay, you can either go or you can't. Like you can't take a foul in a tight game just to test your ankle out to see if like, what, are you the man or, you know, is Byron going to not play you for three weeks if you don't play through this ankle injury? Like what's going on there where they would allow him to go back on the court? And I mean, I guess they're, you could argue that they're not trying to win games, so it really doesn't matter. But if they're trying to win that game, it just seems like you you almost want to know, hey, I can indeed push off on this ankle and I can play. So there's some sort of miscommunication there. 
you know, with them on that. And, and that was, like I said, one of a number of Laker errors in the, the last three minutes. If they didn't make those, we'd be having a much different con- uh, conversation today. Yeah, I think we would. And I'll, I'll also point out that the Lakers came back without Kobe and then they left Kobe on the bench and Kobe was incredible. I mean, he was, he turned back the clock. I mean, he had the alley-oop dunk. He had a couple of, uh, like the vintage sort of follow away, throw your body forward uh, jumpers that he was, you know, the vintage Kobe look jump shot. I mean, 28 points and 10 of 18 from the field. He was absolutely electric. His, to, I, I, he was spectacular. His early third quarter was really what set the tone for the Lakers there. Cause first of all, the, the Kings came out in the beginning of the third quarter and the Lakers defense still had the same fatal errors and the Lake, and the Kings were still getting tons of 50-50 balls and, and making plenty of shots. But Kobe came out and he rattled off eight straight points and looking at them, they were classic um, Rudy Gay, not horribly defensively, but not good enough to get the job done. And... You look at those eight points, you say, okay, if the, the Lakers don't get those eight points, this thing's like a 30-point game, and they probably just go away. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, yeah, but then they benched him, and, you know, that that's part of his maintenance plan, and, and the Kings get lucky on that front, but then you get this stretch of minutes without DeMarcus Cousins starting, you know, later in the third quarter. But even during that third quarter, you started to see the same issues that we talk about every week here popping up with the Kings taking eh, meh shots, not, not good shots, not great shots, just like, eh, you know, yeah. part of this, they're part of the system shots. And then defensively there weren't, I was looking for some massive defensive failure, but there, there was not a massive defensive failure. There was just a string of um, times that they got beat one-on-one and system limitations Things where they come off a pick and roll on that 18-foot jumper that's been open all season, it's wide open because every single pick and roll, the Kings are going to sink and give that up. So I don't know what direction you want to go with it. but Yeah, yeah. they Definitely, here's a couple of things that I, I'll take away. Number one, Rondo said in the locker room, like, look, sometimes teams come back. They make shots. You don't make shots. They come back. But following the game, DeMarcus Cousins, which George Carl keyed us in on, DeMarcus Cousins pulled the team aside and had a a conversation and I don't think it was the negative conversation that we've had in the past but it was very stern conversation and when George Carl he called it a positive uh he spoke positively after the game and I don't think he means that DeMarcus Cousins spoke positive things I think he spoke in a way that was more positive than it had been in the past and I think it was uh, uh, pretty clear. He said, we can't do this. We can't keep it. We keep calling ourselves, you know, we keep saying we want to play in the playoffs, but we can't do this. And we can't get away from what's working. And I'm going to point out what was working in this game. What was working was the Kings dominance in the post, but it wasn't your standard throw it into DeMarcus, throw it into DeMarcus. It was a different type of post game where the Kings were scoring off of cuts. They were scoring, I mean, Ben McLemore uh, was was very good. He was all over the place, moving off the ball. I thought he was running some of the sets that we've seen from Bellinelli uh, early. You know, I I was like, holy cow, this is a totally different Ben McLemore. He finishes with 16 points in only 25 minutes to play, and I'm thinking, wow, maybe he's turning a corner. Uh, but really, Cousins at that point, I think was 
he finishes a game 8 of 12 from the field, but I think he was 8 of 10 or 8 of, uh, I think he was 8 of 10. The Lakers just wouldn't let him get off because they just kept, they kept fouling him late. But Kufus finishes a game 7 of 9. Quincy Acey finishes a game 8 of 9. I mean, your front line goes like 16 of 21. What is that? 23 of, of 30. 23 of 30 from the field. You're going to, you're going to win a game. And the Kings stopped going to it. They stopped going to the pick and roll, the cutter to the basket. Kufa, uh, Kufus manned up against a smaller guy, mismatches. They just stopped doing it. Didn't make any sense. Yeah, I can't listen to any discussion about anything having to do with this team if it doesn't start with the fact that they are not running the most obvious play in the playbook. And so, you know, if we're talking about the last or the, say the first eight minutes of the fourth quarter or whenever DeMarcus Cousins got back on the court, right, right about the four minute mark of the fourth quarter, they started, they realized we're in trouble. We need to go to DeMarcus in the post. And it basically more or less worked every time. Um, but those eight minutes prior to that, they're taking shots that the defense wants them to take. So any discussion that starts about the Kings that doesn't include that George Carl has a system in place that is not the wisest system for this team. It, to me, it's like a pointless conversation. And so the Kings are going to continue to have these, these experiences where they give, they leave points on the table and they let teams get back into games or teams gain ground on them or whatever have you. Uh, to, to your points on DeMarcus, though, I think there's a lot there to unpack. I've been fishing around and trying to figure out what's happened. There's got to have been some sort of a come-to-Jesus moment with him because his attitude for four games has been nothing short of stellar. I agree. He has been um, as active as any player on the court. His defense at times has been, I mean, talking about, you know, like Anthony Davis has some physical tools that make him uh, a more imposing defender in certain ways, but the way DeMarcus Cousins has played the pick and roll in the the past few games, uh, it's just, it's a cat and mouse that he's playing. He's dictating where the offensive player goes and it's a cat and mouse game. You've got to be able to, dance behind the screen in a way that makes the the ball handler confused he's just been amazing on that front and the words that he spoke after the game last night on tnt he had this balance that you see out of leaders nobody's going to jump up and down and say that marcus cousins all sort all of a sudden exonerated for six years worth of issues that that haven't looked so great for him but these last four games have been stellar to the point where i now kind of don't know where the ceiling for this team is because we've not seen the, them play this way all year, but now they got four games under their belt playing this way. And it's a hot, much higher level of play. It's a five to eight seed in the West level of play. I would now, agree. Is it sustainable? Probably not. Especially if, if you're going to have a system in place that goes away from DeMarcus Cousins in the post, when you've got guys like Brandon Bass and Julius Randle as as your your big man combo trying to defend this 300 pound behemoth that when you get when somebody just goes through you on the post it's demoralizing it makes your body hurt it puts you into foul trouble it puts you on your heels it just changes the dynamic of the game to go away from that i i even once to me is is a little bit crazy if you want to have a, a little bit of variance where you you display your big man skills, you know, in total and, you know, throw a change up to the defense. It, 
that's that's understandable. It's fine. In fact, the game-winning play was on a play where DeMarcus Cousins came running down and Rondo made up for a really bad four-minute stretch there where he turned the ball over like three times. It was a high pick and roll, and it, it was the game-winning play. So there's value to that, but it's crazy when you – if you feel at all that there's any amount of chance that the Lakers are going to come back and win that game – go back to the post because you take back control of the game. Yeah, and that's what the Kings did. They ended up going back to the post. Again, the Lakers have nobody in the post. I mean, Roy Hibbert had five fouls in 12 minutes. I I don't know what happened to Roy Hibbert. The funny thing is Roy Hibbert was a two-time All-Star. I don't know how, what happened. I mean, he fully got space jammed. Somebody, like, sucked the basketball player right out of that guy. I'm not quite sure what it is. I mean, he's like seven foot three, and he, you know, he might as well right. be playing like Monopoly out there. He's not playing the game of basketball, so it's a really interesting thing because again, he is a Georgetown, like, you know, educated I basketball player. I I never was on the Roy Hibbert train, and it, it, you look a lot better on defense when you got Paul George, Lance Stevenson at his prime. We'll call that. Actually, George. you know what? I, I'll even say this: uh, Roy Hibbert killed the Kings. Killed, killed the Kings. This is if you go back in the history of the Kings, they uh, before Demarcus, before everything, when the year that they had to draft, uh, that they drafted Spencer Hawes with, I think, I think they had the tenth pick. That was a ten man draft, and Spencer Hawes was the eleventh man, and he wasn't a bad player, but you know he was the eleventh man in that draft, and it was a big man draft, and. Roy Hibbert pulled himself out of the draft at the last second. And if that wouldn't have happened, the Kings would have landed Joe Kim Noah. And because of Roy Hibbert's decision to pull himself out of the draft, uh, the Kings had to draft Spencer Hawes because, again, everyone slid up a spot. But, yeah, crazy, crazy moment in Kings history. All right, so let's get to a couple of things here, Aaron. Uh, Number one, I, I spoke to Rudy Gay in the locker room last night. And he had a really nice little seven-footer at a really cl- crucial moment. They gave the Kings the lead back while while chaos was raining down. The whole place was, I, I swear, that building was shaking. It was crazy. Um, I spoke to him in the locker room afterwards, and he said that, you know, his he's had to change his game so dramatically this season to try to fit in and do what's best for the team. And I know a lot of fans have been really, really hard on Rudy and saying, like, look, dude, what happened to your game? But, you know, his assist numbers are way down. And his isolation numbers are a little higher. And he's he's doing things. I mean, even if you go back to last season, his assist numbers were great down the stretch. I think he finished with, like, three and a half assists a game. But uh, just not – his assist percentage was high. His uh, shooting percentage was higher. Um, he was shooting a lot of – a lot of corner three balls they've taken that out of his game completely so i'm not quite sure this is again we can go back to the system talk if we want but i think they've they've changed his role so dramatically and it's tough for a player who's been in the league forever to like all of a sudden be a completely different player and that may sound like an excuse but i don't think it is i think really if you look at where he's shooting from if you look at how he's used in the offense if you look at who's running the ball all the time. We've talked about the Rondo ball dominance and everything else. I think Rudy Gay, his style of play is just, he has to figure it out. He has, and it's taken a long time. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Kings have been so inconsistent is because of guys like Rudy and guys like Marco Bellinelli and guys like Darren Collison, 
all of them trying to play, trying to fit into new new roles with new players and again with trying to fit into the Rondo system. So it, it, we're seeing growing pains and I, I think we're going to continue to see growing pains. But he, I thought, was pretty honest. He said, look, I, you know, it's good for me to have a clutch shot. I haven't had a clutch shot in a long time. I, I feel like I've let the team down a couple of times. And, and it was just, you know, he's like, this was a good game where I feel like I'm starting to figure out how to play with this group. And it, is it possible that the Kings players just, again, they just need more time because of the way that this team has been constructed? Yeah, there's there's definitely truth to a lot of that. Um, in in regards to Rudy Gay, he's um, his free throw numbers are down. He's he's definitely the, on the outside looking in, and this is this is all this is all Rondo. Like this all comes down to Rondo because Rondo starts every possession and holds it for at least ten seconds, and everybody else has to play off that. And it is also system because. Until recently, we haven't seen quite as much post play. And I'll give George credit. I think he's bowing a little bit and, and playing more through the post. And the playing through the post is very important because Rondo's not going to create a lot of mismatches for Rudy Gay. But DeMarcus Cousins is. And that's what you saw last night when he hit his big shot. It came off of a kind of a crazy post action and the rebound kicked out. DeMarcus got it. And here's here's this kind of utility knife offensive player that's hanging around the inside of the key. DeMarcus finds him. He hits the shot. And it's it's the type of thing that Rudy does really well, where if you can get him the ball and the defense is disadvantaged in any way whatsoever, he can exploit it. He's got a lot of tools in his toolbox to do that. But then if you ask him to beat his guy off the dribble one on one, I mean, he hit a couple of crazy shots last night. He had a fade away from his favorite spot on the baseline. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a terrible, terrible look, but it was that's his shot. So that you was know, the you, old Bobby Jackson uh no 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 no. Yes. But you then know. <laughs> bad there was a bad three point attempt at a crucial time, I think at the five minute mark. Where Actually it was a twenty five right before he hit that seven that seven footer, he shot a twenty five foot three pointer that was wasn't a great shot. Right. And this is a guy that's, you know, when the expectations are on you to be a certain thing and you're not getting the ball a lot in the flow of the offense, you then press. And so he's been pressing all season long. And especially on a night when he's got it going, he's he's his natural in, intention is to shoot there. And so that problem needs to work itself out. It's one of the main pro reasons I've been a proponent of limiting Rondo's touches, because even if you get him a 30, 25 to 30 minute roll, he's still going to have such a dominant effect on your offense. And you don't want to be playing pick and roll with Rondo and Cousins on the perimeter more than 25% of the time, because again, it pulls DeMarcus Cousins away from the hoop. And we've talked about that ad nauseum, but this this development of DeMarcus Cousins getting more post touches than he's gotten for the first part of the season has had a positive effect on Rudy. And to your point about th these guys needing time, you see this in San Antonio um, right now as they implement LaMarcus Aldridge. He's the first guy that they got to get fixed. And then guys that are secondary, guys like Danny Green, um, you know, on down the line, they're going to be the guys that are f the, the last guys to get it figured out. Because once you get your main system set, then your role players can kind of fit in around that. Rudy's a, a very big role player. He's, he's a big piece to that. But once you kind of figure out, okay, 
we're going to play through DeMarcus in the post. Then guys know where to stand. Then they know where to cut. You saw that in the first half. It, it was a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, the Kings were, were looking for the third and the fourth pass every single time because getting the ball to DeMarcus down there is so darn effective and it creates so many open passing lanes and it creates so much chaos that it can't not do that. You know, it's just such an obvious uh, thing to do. But these guys are now going to take time to get adjusted to that. And, you know, you're going to look at somebody like Darren Collison, who struggled mightily. He'll, he'll probably be the next guy after Rudy. If, if the Kings consistently give it to DeMarcus in the post, you'll see Rudy Gay figure it out. And then after that, you'll see Darren Collison figure that out. He'll be the last piece because he's got, a, he's got the hardest job on the team is he's got to figure out his role opposite Rondo as a guy that's normally handling the ball. Um, guys like Marco Bellinelli. Bellinelli's already figured it out. Yeah, I think Bellinelli figured it out over the last five games. He figured out what his role and how to fit in. Exactly. And to your point with San Antonio, people are going to say, well, you're comparing to San Antonio. Here's the facts, people. San Antonio added LaMarcus Aldridge and maybe a couple of tertiary players. The Sacramento Kings added 10 players. And so when, when you are trying to integrate LaMarcus Aldridge into a system and you start to fall behind in a game, it's like, okay, let's... Let's pull Aldridge out and let's just run San Antonio basketball, which we've run for the last 20 years, and run over somebody. And then we can bring him back in and we can keep working on this. The Kings don't have that luxury. They don't have a go-to Kings basketball to go to fall back on to get themselves right back into a game. It's just not something that they have because all of this, uh, this entire group is, is relatively new to each other. I mean, even if you look, you go, oh my gosh, but Caspi and Collison and and you know all these they've been there it's like no those guys both caspi and collison they got there last year you know rudy gay has been here like two and a half years now so yes you can say him and and ben mclemore have been here you know two and a half years whatever it is now and you know cousins had been here the whole time but that's it the i mean when jason thompson was traded that was the last player left from when vivek bought the team outside of cousins no other player I mean, they drafted Ben McLemore right afterwards, and then they traded for Rudy Gay in December of that year. But Cousins is the only guy who's who was on this team when Vivek purchased a team, you know, two and a half years ago. So, yeah, just kind of an interesting dynamic that's still playing out. And, and look, you're going to have highs and lows. But here, let me preach some facts to you. The Kings are eight and six over the last fourteen. Not only that, but they are half a game out of the the eighth spot in the West. They have, of course, Golden State on Saturday, which is going to be tough like it is for everyone. But I don't know. This team is building. And what I'm seeing now, Aaron, I'm seeing the mistakes of a team that just hasn't figured everything out yet, but they've figured out most things. And so now they're piecing together the finer nuances of being a professional basketball team, like winning in crunch time, like holding on to leads, like figuring out how to execute in the last two minutes of a game. Those are the things that they're figuring out right now. They've got the big stuff out of the way. Now, we could go back to the Dallas game and say the stupid switching again killed them. The The reason why they lost that game was realistically because Darren Collison was trying to guard Dirk Nowitzki on every possession down the stretch, and Dallas just abused them for running a system that, that realistically has proven time and time again to not work all of the time. And so we can point to those things, but we're seeing a team grow, 
and we're seeing players like Cousins grow. And I, I mean, he's the NBA player of the week right now. And I thought a few days, like I, the end of the new year, I thought he was going to have a difficult time being an all-star. I think right now he's making his case to be an all-star. And maybe that's something that like clicked into his mind that he, if he doesn't get it going right now, he's not going to be invited to Toronto. And so he has, I mean, the onus is on him right now to keep this going, to keep building. And you got to hope that he avoids injury, which is something that seems to hit him right when he gets rolling. But this is this is the moment that the Kings and Cousins take their huge leap, you would hope, because after they get past this game against Golden State, they've got winnable games against the teams they have to beat. They've got the Pelicans, they've got the Jazz, I mean, they ha- they've got the Clippers, these are teams that if they want to be an upper echelon team, these are the teams they have to beat, and they have to beat them now. And so it's it's an interesting stretch, man. I, I I think this team is actually turning the corner, and while it's exhausting all you know most of the time, it's still it's fun and crazy frenetic basketball that I, I think Kings fans are very dude ninety eight percent sellout rate on the season. 98 percent of the of the arena has been filled up almost the entire season it's crazy i think there's reason to be excited because again i have not seen demarcus like this in a long since the malone days and i haven't seen this team play these four games is a different team you could talk about the ups and downs prior to that this four these four games are a different ball club so you know you kind of run through the checklist of things at the top of the checklist is demarcus you know happy productive you know, giving effort. And then I think you've just got to go down the list from there. Um, I think next thing on the list is George Carl's got to adjust these systems and he's got to stop killing his players in the media after the games, because there's just certain things that don't make a lot of sense. I mean, he, he uh, pointed out Seth Curry's defense. Yeah. He's calling Seth Seth his best, best perimeter defender. It's an old school ploy to motivate somebody. I don't know if he's trying to motivate Darren or Rajon or, or Ben, you know, Ben or Marco, which whichever one of those group he's trying to motivate, that doesn't look good when your system is is really bad. Like right now, that system is bad. It's been bad for a while, and I think, you know, he's got to take ownership. I, I'd love to hear George Carl say in a in a press conference once, "This is, you know, I didn't coach a good game." Or I didn't, I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, because at some point that's going to be a problem. He's got a volatile guy. I don't, I don't know if I he's noticed. I think he said it at least once that look, I, I that one I think was on me. I think I've heard him say that like once, but I, I'm not. I mean, NBA coaches they don't, they don't do that. I don't know. I've heard a couple. I, I, won't, I won't say the the one that comes to mind because it'll sound, you know, too obvious. Uh, Michael Malone, um, yeah. but the the he's. I think he's got his work to do. And then I think you just go down the list. You got to make sure Rudy Gay gets going because he's a guy that could get lost real quick if, if things don't turn for him and on down the list, but they do look like a different team. And if you've got that top box checked with DeMarcus cousins, that's the most important box of all. And I, agree. I, I think it's been checked. I don't know. I, I, I think it's kind of crazy to say that. So nobody quote me on it. Don't don't put me on that. <laughs> don't you put that on me. Don't you put that on me. All right, Aaron. So uh, that is it for today's podcast. Uh, we've had a, a very interesting discussion on a wild and crazy game. We didn't even really get to Quincy AC and his incredible uh, his incredible breakout week. 
I mean, he was he was so good in that in that Lakers game, and he was good in the Dallas game. He's bringing an energy, something that's totally different. And you know what, Aaron, I'm going to take the the CSN Kings Insider podcast is going to take 100 of the credit. That's called uh, the Kings Insider podcast karma for coming on the the show last week for Quincy AC. Since he's been on the show, he's been incredible and getting to play, play and started. Guy. There it is. Um, so that so that's fun. To watch, uh, Aaron. Do you have any final thoughts? Happy Dana Falk Day, Sacramento. First oh. and goal at the one. First and goal at the one. Uh, and uh, actually, you know, Aaron, tomorrow is uh, the four-year anniversary of the premiere of Small Market Big Heart at the Crest Theater. That is amazing. Is that amazing? That's wild. So uh, I think that's it. We've we've got your final thought. Happy Dana Falk Day. Um, Sacramento Kings are a half game out of the playoffs. They are, I think it's 15 and 21 on the season. They have some winnable games in front of them and some not so winnable games this coming weekend. So hopefully they can at least make a good showing and start to protect that home court where they are just, I think it's 10 and 9 on the season. Uh, But that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Follow us on Facebook. Like us on, like us on tw- uh, Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, make sure to hit the the like button on uh, on iTunes and rate us and follow us on iTunes. And uh, we'll be back next week. So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We'll see you next week. 